He loves me. Say this with me. Say, he loves me just as I am and not as I should be. Amen. 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 All right. At this moment, we'll dismiss our children down to Children's Church. Bless our teachers. Amen. Well, if this is your first time to True Vine, we just want to extend a True Vine welcome to you. Uh, just want to love on you and let you know that it's awesome that you came to visit us. If uh, you're here for the first time, we have visitor cards or info cards in the back by our offering box. Um, it's also probably helpful for you to know, thanks, Kervin, that we don't um, pick up a regular offering. We don't pass a plate here normally, but we do rely on your generosity and faithfulness and giving as the Lord leads. Uh, we know that you should not be giving out of compulsion or because someone twists your arm, but the Lord does love a cheerful giver. So, um, yeah. We love it. We love when you offer. We love when you tithe. And uh, we love that we can keep doing this week after week. Let me uh, just pray for us. And um, then we'll, we'll just kick it off. I'm, I'm really excited for what we have for this morning. Jesus, you are good. Mm. And uh, your word is good. Um, and the plans that you have for us are good. And Lord, we come under that right now. We come under uh, you. We come under your word. We come under the plans that you have for us. We cancel any assignment of the enemy over this time. We cancel any lies that we've come to believe that would keep us from believing the word of God. Lord, and we come under you right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, would you make us attentive and responsive to your word? Open up our ears. Anoint us afresh. Open up our hearts that we would be responsive to what you have to say. Lord, keep my mouth, my heart, my, my mind from error in delivering your message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You ever notice something about older people or people that have been a, around the block a couple times? Whenever something crazy happens, they don't really freak out. Initially. They don't really freak out. Maybe they have a point of reference where there's like, well, let's just take a step back instead and let's take all of this in and then let's chart a court of action, a course of action. We uh, just started last week uh, a Nehemiah series. And uh, if you haven't gotten one of these books just yet, uh, it's basically a cut and paste of the NASB version of the Bible, and what you will be able to do is um, follow along week from week to week from what we will be preaching. Jim, myself, Scott, Chris, um, and others will be preaching from week to week, um, and you would you'll have the opportunity to read what we're going to be preaching about one week ahead of time. So basically, it's a cool little resource. Big ups to everyone who helped put this together, my wife and and everybody else. Um, so there's a just quotes, extra biblical resources and stuff in there, a place for you to uh, make notes, but just a, uh, maybe a different way for you to engage the scriptures during the week and come here almost 
prepared to receive and almost in tune with what might already be happening. Um, Nehemiah, let me, can I teach this morning for a little while? Can, can I teach before I, I, I start preaching? And, I, and I'll get to the preaching and you'll notice the difference. All right. But, but, but allow me to teach this morning just a little bit. I'm going to give you some facts. All right. I'm going to give you some historical, a historical context. Today, what I really want to do is build a foundation for the rest of our build upon the foundation that Jim started to build last week, but build a foundation and continue to build a foundation for the rest of our series. Amen. We're going to be in Nehemiah for a while. Somebody say a while. All right. And, and by the time we're done with Nehemiah, you're going to know Nehemiah. Amen. And you're going to be able to preach Nehemiah. You're going to be able to share Nehemiah. Nehemiah is going to be in your bones. All right. And uh, you'll you'll know what Nehemiah was about. So let me just share some facts with you. And uh, I'm really proud of this chart. I don't care what you say. All right. I did this, John, last night. All right. Um, and some of you are like, I can't see. I got something for you, right? I got something for you. Just wait. All right. I got you. All right. So let me just give you some facts, um, some historical facts about Nehemiah. All right. In the Hebrew, in the Hebrew Bible, Nehemiah and Ezra are combined into one book um, because they deal with some of the same general time periods. Um, so in the Hebrew canon, Nehemiah is not alone. It's Ezra and Nehemiah together. They're one book. All right. And they comprise um, uh, part of the 10 other books that are considered the historical books um, of the Bible, along with Joshua, Judges, First uh, and Second Samuel, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, First and Second Chronicles, etc. Ezra and Nehemiah are about the return of the exiles to Jerusalem. All right. And, and we'll get to my chart in a little bit. Nehemiah. Ezra focuses on rebuilding the temple that has been destroyed. The, the Israelites have sinned against God. They have been taken captive. Um, they ought to know better, but they didn't. They were stiff-necked people, the Bible calls them. And because of that, they have been taken into captivity time and time again. Their, their places of worship have been destroyed. And... Um, by the time Ezra comes around, uh, Ezra is a man, a teacher of the law. He's, he's really respected in the, in the Hebrew community at the time among the exiles. And he gets a charge to rebuild the temple, the temple of Solomon, which has now been destroyed. Nehemiah, however, focuses on rebuilding the wall that's around Jerusalem that has also been destroyed because the people, even though uh, Ezra tried to go and, and tried to rebuild the temple, they still did not change in their wicked ways. They did not change uh, the sins that they were committing. Um, they still worshipped other gods uh, and worshipped other idols um, and they did not stick to correct worship of Yahweh. The immediate, audience, the immediate audience of Ezra and Nehemiah are the contemporaries of the author. What that means is that the books were written for the people that were alive during the time that Ezra and Nehemiah were alive. Yes, there are principles in Ezra and Nehemiah that we can learn from, and that's why we're going to teach them. I think more than ever, they're applicable for us today in Wissanoming and in the Lower Northeast. But they weren't per se written for Wissanomingites. But there are 
things and principles that we can learn as Wissanomingites, Mayfairites, Taconiites, Buck Countyites, South Jerseyites, right? That we can learn from, from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, as is with the entire scripture. So when we submerge ourselves in the books of the Bible, we submerge ourselves or try to submerge ourselves with the eyes of the audience, the heart of the audience, the, the, you get where I'm going? That it was written to. We don't do what a lot of people do with scripture is apply what's called revisionary history, revisionist history. We go back and read into the scriptures what we uh, think is true today, right? We don't change the scriptures to make it apply to us today. We ask, what did the scriptures mean originally? And why were they written? To whom were they written? And for what, you know, and what was the purpose of their writing? Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? I told you I'm teaching first. All right? You with me? Nod. Say yes. Okay. The author of this, uh, uh, you know, the authorships of, of the 12 books are anonymous. Don't get caught up with that. But I'm just trying to, you know, a historian wrote it. And between all of the books, there's about a thousand years that are covered. Amen. Ezra and Nehemiah were instrumental in renewing a discouraged people. Somebody say discouraged. By uh, encouraging their loyalty to the covenant, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, and undertaking other reforms or social reforms. Amen? Let me, um, let me have us read real quick. Go to the next, the next uh, slide, and then we'll go from there. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year. This is the beginning of the book. This is how the book opens up. While I was in the citadel of Susa, which is a place where, uh, where Nehemiah frequented, Hanani, one of my brothers, some people say that it was his actual brother, came from Judah with some other men. And this is Nehemiah speaking. He says, and I questioned them. I asked them a question about the Jewish remnant, those who were left behind, those who were still living in Jerusalem, those who had chosen we will not worship other idols that had survived the exile, which is when they were taken away from their homeland to begin with. At this point, they are living elsewhere, not in their homeland. They are um, occupied. Jerusalem is occupied by other people other than Jews. And the people in Jerusalem and in Israel have been deported elsewhere to some degree. All right, they're living in a land that's not their own. Okay? So, put it like this. It's, it, it's like, say, people from Philly moved to Florida, and then they asked somebody that came from Philly to visit Florida, hey, man, how are things going in Philly? Got it? Not with the sociopolitical stuff that would have been happening of that day, but it's like saying, hey man, how are things back in Philly? That's basically what Nehemiah is asking his brother. Hey man, how are things back in Philly? And this is the response that, that uh, Nehemiah gets from the folks that were there. And they said to me, those who survived 
the exile, those who survived uh, when we were taken over by war, are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Amen? Nehemiah gets these really bad news, man. Things back home ain't going too good. All right? Our people, the, 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 the little bit of people that we got back home are defenseless. The wall of Jerusalem, that which was supposed to uh, protect our people, give them a chance to prepare in the event of an enemy attack, at least one wall of defense, right? They could just climb over it. You ever seen that Geico commercial with, uh, I think, the, the Mongolian? Uh, it's like, oh, the Great Wall of China. The Great Wall of China. Hold on. And then they climb over the Great Wall of China just by lifting up their legs. Needless to say, things in Jerusalem had gone from bad to worse. Amen? And the walls of their city were burnt and tore down. The people that were living there were vulnerable. Somebody say vulnerable. And as soon as Nehemiah hears this, something is stirred up in his heart. But he doesn't run right into action because he's a great leader. And great leaders don't rush into action. They first pause, process, and pray. How many of you are the type of people that see something wrong and then you just want to fix it right away? All right? Well, I'll just go to the plan B if plan A don't work, right? I got a plan B, plan C, plan D. And you wasted a bunch of time because you didn't pause, process, and pray. Where do you get this pause, process, and pray? One back, one back. Um, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Amen? Let me just uh, use my uh, dusty, trusty, dusty chart here, everyone. Uh, about a thousand years before Nehemiah uh, is allowed to return to rebuild the temple, Israel enters the promised land. And you'll see that up there. If you can't see it from back there, I'm sorry. I tried. Uh, Israel enters the promised land. And they're doing okay for a little while. They have these skirmishes. They have these, um, these fights. But then there's a time of chaos that happens right after that. And, and that's what we read in the book of Judges. There's a bunch of chaos that happens right there. And then eventually... Uh, David is crowned as king. And you guys know the story of David. Most of us, uh, Saul was out to get him. And then um, David rises as a king. He has his ups and his downs, but mostly ups. He's a man with a heart after the Lord. He loves to worship. He loves to pray. But then he has a son named Solomon. And, and Solomon was wise. 
But to some degree, he had a problem keeping it in his pants. Some of you that wake up. Yes, I'm like, that doesn't even phase you. He had about a thousand women, but he kind of set this thing off into motion. <laughs> said this, like, hey, that's normal. You know, everybody has a thousand women. Uh, he sets this thing off into motion where he started marrying people other than people that were Jews, and they began to adapt, adopt the practices of other people. Adopt the, the, the practices of non-Jewish people. I don't think the issue really is that they married people that were not Jews, but they began to do the things that non-Jewish people did. Amen? I think that's the heart of the matter, right? And so the easier way, they were people of the law, and so God was like, yeah, just don't marry people that are not Jewish. You, you, you need to be firm and know your identity and be rooted in who you are and in your practices, your cultural practices, and in your you know, spiritual practices. But the people, I mean, they were just basically a baby nation. And their identity was not solidified yet. And then they went off and started messing with other people that did not understand or did not appreciate or had other forms of worship that were not the, the way to worship the one true God. Are you, are you following me? Are you with me yet? Okay. So David's kingdom rises. Solomon's sins uh, prompt the division of the kingdom. All right. And this has always been a little bit confusing to me. And so that's why I created a chart. All right, I created a chart just for me to understand. And then if I can understand it, then I can articulate it. And then hopefully you're not as confused. Amen? All right. So Solomon's sins prompt the division of the kingdom. Israel goes to the north. Judah goes to the south. All right? And the kingdom of Israel, again, is in the north. And the kingdom of Judah is in the south. And then they don't really get along with one another. There's power struggles for about 200 years. And um, eventually in 722 BC, Israel falls, the kingdom of the north falls to the Assyrians. There's a lot of confusion as to what happens after that to the kingdom of the north. It kind of just ceases. However, the kingdom of the south, the kingdom of Judah, continues to be an independent kingdom way longer than Israel. Eventually Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians, then the Persians conquer Babylon. So get the picture. They are, they're not self-governing. They don't keep, their form of government is what's called a theocracy. A theocracy means that God is the head of their government, right? Um, but then when they introduce kings, there's all these, you know, how many of you guys know that people mess things up? All right. And then there's power struggles and then there's all sorts of stuff happening. And they get taken over by different people, by different kings. First, by the Babylonians. Then the Babylonians uh, get conquered by the Persians. And then during that time, Ezra, remember Ezra and Nehemiah in the Jewish canon and in the Jewish Bible are just one book. Um, gets permission to go back and rebuild the temple that Solomon built that had been destroyed by all of this war and anguish. 
All right? How many, how many of you are confused? Can you say I'm confused? Nobody. Oh, my gosh. All right. Either you're lying or I'm really good. Uh, somebody said, don't get your head so swole. <laughs> then Ezra rebuilds the temple. And then about 100 years later, Nehemiah, which we'll get to see later on, maybe next week or the week after that, asks permission to go back to his homeland because he's heard about what's happening in his homeland, that his homeland is um, in ruins. So that's how we get to where we are right now in the opening of Nehemiah. The people entered the promised land. They started marrying other people. They started sinning against God. They uh, don't worship the one true God the way the one true God has said to be worshipped. You know, God doesn't accept just any worship. He wants to be worshipped the way he wants to be worshipped. Because he's God, we're not. And so the people of Israel had to learn that time and time again. Oh yeah, I'm just going to, they practice what's called syncretism. Somebody say syncretism. Listen, I love sharing words that I know with you and at least having you. My dad used to say to me, um, Luis, you don't understand this word, but I want you to say it just so that it just is just somewhere in your word bank somewhere. And one day, maybe you'll pick it up. I'm dropping these words on you. And one day, maybe you'll read that. Like, I heard that somewhere. He made me say that at church. And then syncretism means basically the, the combination of, of, of more than one religion. So they practiced a little bit of worship to the one true God, Yahweh, right? The Lord. Oh, and a little bit of statue worship and a little bit of Baal worship, right? And a little bit of the Asherah pole worship. Well, it hasn't rained in a while. Maybe we'll pray to the rain gods as well. Mad, remember, it's an agricultural society, right? Yahweh doesn't seem to be answering. Why don't we just pray to the rain gods instead? You, you seeing the picture that I'm, let me, let me bring that back to 2015. I know God told me to stay at this job and that God has called me to this place, but I'm going to start sending out applications anyway. Either you serve God, that's what Jesus says, right? Or you serve mammon, the God of money. Either Jesus is your provider, or you're your own provider, or mammon's your provider. That's just one example. But I'm going to hit you right where it hurts, because everybody talks about money. And everybody gets money insecure. I don't care how much money you have. Because you know, more money, more problems. (laughs) She said, I could use some problems. <laughs> I, could use, <laughs> I could deal with problems now. <laughs> you understand? Either, we tr- either you trust God or you don't trust God. And that's what got the Israelites in all this mess. Because they trust God on Sunday, but come Tuesday... Uh, about that God stuff. And maybe they weren't saying that, right? Amen? All right. All right, I told you I was going to teach. All right? (laughs) I love it. I love it. All right? But I love what Nehemiah does here. He doesn't say 
pack my bags, I'm leaving right now. He doesn't just say, put, put all my stuff on top of my horses. He doesn't start a whole bunch of drama. Nehemiah observes the practice, and this is fine, you can leave this up, of Shiva. He sits Shiva. Shiva is a Hebrew practice where people mourn, and it's usually for the passing of someone, uh, you know, a family member. And it's actually an Old Testament practice. So to them, it's obeying God when they sit Shiva. He is so tore up that it's almost like a death has happened. That he needs to process that his brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem are in pain. That they're vulnerable. That they're going without that they're facing injustices, that they go out to market. And this is not what the text says, right? But that people are taking advantage of them. They don't feel safe in their own homes. I don't know about you, but I know exactly what that feels like. You ever been perpetrated against? Your house been robbed? That house never feels the same again. I need healing. And so Nehemiah internalizes the pain of his brothers and his sisters. They don't feel safe. And safety is something that all human beings need. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. Safety and feeling comforted is something that every human being needs. Amen? Can, can, can you identify with that? And when you lose safety, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough to trust. That's not what I'm preaching this morning. Let me get back to my text. But I get the sense that that's connecting with some of you. And it definitely connected with Nehemiah. So he sits he observes Shiva. It's usually about seven days. He weeps like an ugly cry. When I think weep, like think mascara everywhere for girls, right? If you're a dude, you're wearing makeup. I'm sorry. I will weep for you. Unless it's like war paint, right? I'm down with some war paint. Um. He sits, he weeps, he mourns. You know, there's a difference between grieving and mourning. There's a difference between grieving and mourning. Grieving is what happens internally. It's what happens on the inside. You can't escape grieving. If you go through life, you are going to be grieved. Somebody's going to say something about your mama and that's going to mess you up. Somebody's going to say something and you're going to take it personal. Right? Somebody in your life, a loved one is going to pass away and, and, and you're going to experience this grief inside. 
In American culture, we do not know how to grieve well. We get angry. We want to punch somebody in the face. Sit your butt down. And process your grief. What do I mean when I say process your grief? Talk to someone. Be in silence in that awkward in-between place. Don't try to rush out of that season. He sits Shiva, Nehemiah sits Shiva for seven days. His heart is broken. His soul is grieved. His people are dying and vulnerable. There's injustice. What has happened to them is unfair. And he knows, perhaps, or at some point during that process of sitting Shiva, he gets a call to do something about it. He gets a vision, a clear vision of what he's supposed to do. You cannot escape life without experiencing some level of grief. Amen? Some of us, and listen, not everybody goes through grief the same way. Somebody may be accustomed to deaths in their family. And not that it ever gets easier, right? But some, somebody might just be experiencing their first death. Just because you've been dealing with death for years now doesn't mean that this person who just experienced their very first close death in their family has to uh, approach the healing process, the grieving process like you do. Amen? But I love that Nehemiah um, sits Shiva Not because someone has died per se, but because things are not the way they should be. He is so grieved that the world is not the way it should be. That Jerusalem is not the way it should be. Amen? I love this thing about Nehemiah. He asks, how is it back home? He cares enough to ask, how is it back home? And then when he hears these things, he sits down and weeps and for several days observes the Shiva. And then he fasts and prays. The discipline of, of fasting and prayer um, are observed in order to um, not get what we want, but to align our will to God's will, right? I've taught on fasting before here, 
And fasting isn't like um, some magical trick to bend God's arm. For the longest, I thought, you know, it was, you know. Oh, we'll fast. God, I really want a car, so I'm going to fast. No wonder I never got the car, because God's not an ATM machine. He can't be manipulated by you. That's called magic, and that's witchcraft. And witchcraft, if you practice witchcraft, you're not going to heaven, bud. That's of the devil. <laughs> Let me drink some water. But the practice of fasting, it's, it's what's called an ascetic practice. It's a denying yourself, decreasing that Christ may increase. And when you fast, the Bible says, don't go around telling people you're fasting. That's between you and God. You ain't holy and spiritual just because you fast. Muslims fast for a whole month. How much do you fast? Fasting don't make you special. The Bible says that a broken and contrite heart, that is what he will not despise. Not your sacrifice. Right? He says the attitude of your heart is what I want. Yes, fasting is good. It's an outward sign of, of, of you saying, I want less of me and more of God. And the state of his homeland has grieved him so much that it's caused him to sit in silence observing the Shiva. This is a picture of Job observing the Shiva. And those of you who were in the Job class, uh, we talked about that. And um, he mourns, he processes, he does the ugly cry. But in that moment, in, this, in observing the Shiva, he hears from the Lord and gets a clear direction on what he's supposed to do next. All right, and I won't preach that message because that message is for, for next week, I think. Let me bring this home for us. What does this look like for us? I think that the book of Nehemiah is uh, an important one, especially at this juncture of, of, of the life of our church. We are studying Nehemiah because we believe that God wants us to um, be a part of what he's doing in Wissanoming and Taconi and the surrounding areas. Nehemiah, after sitting the Shiva, um, gets a clear vision from God to ask the king, King Artaxerxes, to uh, give him permission, some commentaries say, for up to 12 years to go back and restore order in Jerusalem. To not only do restore physical order of things to rebuild the wall, but he restores correct and appropriate worship, and he establishes social reforms so that the poor among them are being taken care of. How many of you guys know that the gospel is not a social gospel? He does not call us to just do good things and, you know, never talk about Jesus. So we're not called to be social agents of change. But we are called to be kingdom agents that bring the kingdom of God. You know sometimes what the kingdom looks like? 
giving a hungry person something to eat, giving a person that's, you know, struggling to pay their rent, $20, and not announcing it on Sunday morning, helping a single mom to uh, raise their kids while they're out looking for work. I want to, how many of you guys like numbers? I know Scott does. I'm going to give you some statistics about the state of Philadelphia, Wisconsin, and some of the surrounding areas. And you tell me whether or not our walls are broken, our figurative walls are broken. 50%, 50 50.1% of households in Philly are single parent homes. All right. The sad part about that is, and we should probably sit shiva for our country, right, is that we're 47th in the country in that department. Our neighbor to the south, Camden, 66.8% of households in Camden are, are single parent homes. Know what that means? Out of every three homes, two of the homes have a single parent. Let me flip that. Out of every three homes, only one of the homes has both parents in the household. In Philadelphia, the poverty rate for black families is two and a half times that of white families. Okay? So, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott. So it's almost like for every three people that are outside of the poverty line, poverty rate for black families in Philadelphia is two and a half times that of white families. There's three times, almost three times more poor black families than there are uh, white families. Does that make sense? The state of Pennsylvania incarcerates African Americans at nine times the rate at which white residents in the state are incarcerated. At nine times the rate. Most of the incarceration is due to drug crimes, but it's documented that white and black drug use is similar in proportion. That white and, and, and we know that in Wissanoming because we are pretty white and black. You know, I'm, I'm focusing on this. You'll, you'll get to what I'm, you'll, you'll, you'll see what I'm saying here. Our walls are broken. In Philly, only 25% of white students can read at grade level. And 12%, this is in 2013, of black students can read at grade level. We're not doing awesome either, either way. If you're a poor student, which means that you qualify for school lunch, all right, anybody eat school lunch? All right, uh, me too. Pizza's on Friday, is that what they did here? All right, New York, we got beef patties. Those were the, <laughs> all right. Uh, 
Sloppy Joes, that was a good one. All right? No? In Vermont, they ate carrots. And I'm looking at my wife. She's like, we got carrots and celery. Amen. We are the healthiest state in the union. Oh, that's right. Malnutrition kept me short. That's right. Corner store, bodega, 25 cent juice. Um, quarter waters. If you are, you guys call those chubs or something, right? Uh, what is it? Hugs. All right, all right. If you are a poor student in Philly, so you qualify for a school lunch, only 9% can read, 19% can read if they're white and 9% if they're black. Less than 10%. The graduation rates from 2011 to 2012 um, for blacks in Philadelphia is 45%. For whites, it's 63%. Neither of those, those statistics are stellar. Our walls are broken. In contrast to Montgomery County, where the black graduation rate is 82%. Just one county over. Overall, the Philadelphia school system does not educate any, any one group, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever, as well as the national average for each one of these groups. Our school system is broken. However, instead of funding and fixing the school system, the PA government has shown its priorities by building a new $400 million prison right outside of Philly. Let me bring this home for us real quick. In Taconia and Wissanoming, 23% of residents, regardless of, of, of race, 18 and over, graduated high school. And only 10% of our residents in Taconia and Wiss have a bachelor's degree. Which I have a bachelor's degree. It's as good as a high school diploma these days. Our walls are broken, right? Healthy families, at least the presence of a healthy family, helps ensure that our cities thrive. Healthy school systems help ensure that the children learn and become productive members of society. Equality in policing and law enforcement help ensure that justice is had. Why does this matter? Because we serve a just God. God is into justice. All that to say, it says, why are blacks incarcerated at nine times the rate of whites for the same crimes? Because it's unjust policing. That's what this statistician got. Our walls are broken. Our walls are broken. Our hearts are broken. We've been hurt. We don't know how to have reconciliation talks. We don't know where to begin. Right? And right now, you shouldn't have warm fuzzies in your stomach. Oh, the white people finally got told. 
That's not of God. Your heart should hurt. Because our kids are not receiving the quality education that will help them survive. We now have a conduit straight to prison. Right from our school systems to prison. I read one, one thing on Instagram you know, some time ago. It says, our kids can't read the Bible in school, but they're encouraged to read the Bible when they go to jail. Our walls are broken. Your heart should hurt right now. There should be a knot in the, in the pit of your soul right now. Your heart should break for your black brothers and sisters if you're not black. And everybody's heart should break for the state of our entire city, regardless of ethnic origin, racial identity. Because what's good for one is also good for the other. We're not called to be social workers or social agents. We're called to be kingdom agents. And the kingdom looks multiracial, multisocial, multicultural, multigenerational. We don't know where to begin. Can I suggest to you that we as a church and as a congregation do what Nehemiah did? That we would sit a sort of shiva? That we would sit, weep, mourn, fast, and pray? God's calling us to action. Let's not rush to action because you ain't never going to finish. The rest of our lives ought to be action. Our lives as believers ought to be action. We serve a God of action, so much action that it landed him on the cross to restore humanity to its original intent, to restore the relationship that was damaged in the garden. We don't serve a God that's a wimp, a God that set everything into motion and said, be latchkey kids and take care of yourselves. We serve a God that intimately enters our world and put on flesh and said, hey, there's a problem but I'm going to be a part of the solution. Right? And you've heard, you know, the cliche, if you're not a problem, if you're not, uh, if you're, you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. Amen? As cliche as it is, I like it. <laughs> Make a t-shirt, I'll wear it. You know? We've talked about diversity, a whole bunch of different things. Today, I heard, uh, for the first time I've ever heard this word, it's a word called pilings. I was watching, I think uh, Dan, too, this week, um, watching this conference, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Conference. This guy named Pete Scazzaro um, talked about pilings. And pilings are um, basically these really long sticks, basically metal sticks, 
that go into the ground, into the granite in places like New York City, and I'm sure that they happen here in Philadelphia as well, um, that will help support the skyscrapers. And they dig them deep, 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 deep down into the ground, right? And the higher the building's going to go, the deeper the pilings have to go, right? And some buildings they've had, they've broken, they started to lean, they had to kind of lift the entire building up and put pilings that were deeper in order to make sure that um, the skyscrapers were going to be able to make it. God's calling us as a people to rebuild our city, to rebuild uh, the places that he's given us influence over. But we need to have deep, deep pilings. You know where the deep, deep pilings are? Pausing and processing and in praying. If you just go out with a full head of steam right now, you're going to burn out. You're going to do one or two projects. And you're going to be like, the hell with this. Leave the blacks to their own thing. Leave the whites to their own thing. They did it anyway. And that's not the attitude of the Lord. Right? Leave the immigrants to, hey, if they don't like it, they can go home. A Christian should never say that. The Bible calls us to uh, care for the foreigners. And the destitute. To love the poor and the widows. To be a part of, and we'll see this later, social reform. Again, not calling us to be social workers, but to be kingdom agents. Please preach the gospel with words, but also give some person some bread and food and water and visit some people in jail per Matthew chapter 25. Write a letter. Does that make sense? All right. Let me, uh, let me see if I want to read this. Uh, second to last slide. Warren Wearsby says this. When we truly care about people, we want the facts, no matter how painful they may be. Facts do not cease to exist because they are ignored. Closing our eyes and our ears to the truth could be the first step towards tragedy for ourselves as well as others. Warren Wearsby wrote a commentary on Nehemiah, wrote a bunch of commentaries. So these are the two responses, and, and, and this is where I want to end with you guys. Can we end with a, a, a few moments? And you know, I grew up in a Quaker school. We did uh, moments of silence, started the day with silence, um, ended the day with silence. Every meeting, you sat on silence for 45 minutes, and I, and I missed that. But I think as a Christians, we've lost a practice of, 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 of silence, meditation, and I think that there's something that could be learned about observing the Shiva. Can we, there's two responses, and one everyone can do, and the other one, if, only do it if the Lord is moving you to do it, because I don't want you to go to one or two meetings and then quit going. So this week, pause process as the Lord leads you to fast and pray. Choose one day in this week 
or you learn some of the facts about our city, go to the local library and learn something. Pick up a, rep a reputable news source. Look it up online. All right, I'm going to give you a dead ringer. If the website is, has a black background, don't listen to what it's saying. <laughs> That's one of those weird websites. Anybody else? If it, look, all right, if it has a weird back background, black background, those is one of those weird websites, all right? But find something that's reputable, something maybe with a .edu. If, if it's suspect, run it by someone um, that you think can read through some of this mess. But I get the sense that the Lord even today is calling some of you to your calling. That some of you are awakening right now and are having a kind of Nehemiah moment. What is God calling me to do in response to the city that is broken? To the walls that are broken? Amen? I can't do this by myself. There are drug dealers on my corner. Constantly. I talk to them. Sometimes I tell them, you're being watched. Because they are, by me. <laughs> I don't tell them that much. <laughs> Sometimes I try to befriend them. I have to care about where I live. God put you here on purpose. God put you in the influence, a circle of influence on purpose. Amen? I'm from Wissanomen. There's some people in our church um, that have decided to join the local civic associations. And when I go there, I take my pastor hat off. I go there as a neighbor. What does the civic association do? It's just a, uh, a gathering of neighbors that care about keeping up the neighborhood. All right? I'm going to challenge you on this. I went to my first Wissanomic Civic Association meeting last Month. It's the last Tuesday of the month at 7 p.m. at Wissanoming Park, which is the 5800 block of Frankfurt Avenue. Okay? I was about the only minority there. Can I challenge some of the minorities in this room to go? I'm not going to make you stand up, and, but I do want, if you live in Wissanoming or if you live in you know, Fox Chase, or if you live in Mayfair, they have a civic association there. Taconi has it their own. You know, wherever you're from, be a part of the solution of rebuilding the walls in your city. Does that make sense? It's completely free to go. If you want to be a voting member, it's $10 a year. All right, I would volunteer to pay you $10 a year, but I'm not going to do that because then you're not going to value it. It's if, if you can find $10 for Mickey D's, you can find $10 to be a voice in your community. Amen? So the next meeting is this Tuesday at 7 p.m. Again, I'm not going there as a pastor. I'm going there as a neighbor because I want to be a part of the change. You don't have to be from Wissanoming in order to go to these meetings either. There's people that are from Brooklyn and other places that have, you know, an interest in Wissanoming. They have rental properties here and things like that that get to vote and things like that. All right? Does that make sense?
We want to be parts of, of the solution and not just parts of... If you're not speaking up, you're, you're allowing things to continue to happen. All right? How am I doing, babe? Doing okay? Am I dragging this out? You guys want to go home? All right. This is what I want to do. Let's just sit in silence for the next few minutes. And then I'll, I'll bless you guys. All right? And it's probably going to take you maybe about a minute and a half to finally get to a place of rest in your soul where these lists will get off of, you know, you have these mental checklists. But after that, you'll finally get to that place. I'll time this. Let's go for two and a half minutes. All right? I'm pushing you. But, and then I'll pray. I'll pray us out. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would any of you guys like to respond to anything that maybe the Lord is moving you um, in regards to the sermon, to in prayer? This would be the time to do that.
when we pray, there is a, a sense that we speak, but there's also a sense that we sit in silence and listen. Um, and I pray to you guys this week, um, I'm probably fast on Tuesday. If anybody want to join me, be awesome if you can do that. Um, but not just listening, not just sitting uh, and talking to God, but actually being quiet and, and, and making enough space to hear back from the Lord. I get the sense that if you do this, that some of you might actually receive a clear next steps for how you can be a part of rebuilding the walls of our city. Amen? Uh, Jesus, would you break our hearts for the things that break your heart? Would you give us hearts of reconciliation, hearts that will rebuild and revive, hearts that will um, share the gospel not only with words but also with action, while not neglecting sharing the word with words? Because we understand that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. But it's also true that a hungry man has no ears. Father, I bless your name. And I pray, Lord, on behalf of our community that you would give us hearts and hands that are fit to do our part in rebuilding our neighborhoods. Lord, I bless those in our community that are already involved in work like this. People like Naziha, Lord, who um, is, is really involved in the community. People um, like Naziha who are involved with the, with the school, Lord. Lord, we bless Lawton School in the name of Jesus. Lord, we, we bless others in our community as well that are involved, people like Valerie, with the prison system. Lord, we bless Valerie, Lord, in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, that men and women would rise up from this place to be a force for good, for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me see, would you guys stand and let me just bless you. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you, wherever he would send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and keep you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. God bless you guys. Have a great week. And uh, the ladies downstairs, there's that, uh, uh, those business suits down there, um, if you guys want. Yes, yeah, some clothes. You guys want?